Are you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we're the quantum mechanics. We're the paranormal podcast for believers, doubters and everyone in between. It's starting to feel a bit Christmassy now, isn't it? I know we've got a little way to go, but I'm 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 in the vibe. And uh, and we're joined by a, a special guest in the studio today, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is... Um, it, I was hoping he'd make a, a contribution, but I don't know. He hasn't said much. Yeah, we're, we're joined by, by my dog this week. Normally we try and uh, keep him out because he is a bit... What's the word? He's a bit enthusiastic, but... He, Effervescent. There, yeah, there was no way he was being left out of the studio. So uh, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. He, he He's not going to just lie down and sleep, I don't think, but he, he'll be reasonably quiet. So if you hear any scratching or snoring or barking... That's it, me. Yeah, that's Ben. <laughs> and then any other noises that are unintelligible, that's me. And then we're left with the dog. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be the world's first dog-hosted podcast. Yeah, exactly. I was actually going to say, on the way over here, because I pass all the farm shops, everything, gradually people are buying their Christmas trees. I've seen a couple of people look like Clark Griswold <laughs> driving out down the road, but I haven't got mine yet. You haven't got yours, I No, think. we haven't got no. no, and normally in this house we do, we do kind of peak quite early with the Christmas tree, but um, just various bits and pieces and people traveling around we've not managed to do it but uh i think we're going to do a midweek purchase next week yeah i think we'll get ours up next week and do the traditional watching of national lampoons christmas vacation and die hard that's what happens every year yeah yeah and uh yeah i think uh we'll definitely be watching those and i know that i know national lampoon <laughs> i mean it has dated terribly but you do feel you have to watch it and then Christmas Eve, I normally watch It's a Wonderful Life, so I'm going to have to do that again as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, of course, we, we, in fact, there he is. There's the dog. <laughs> we were we were debating last night again, is Die Hard a Christmas film? I still insist it is because key plot lines in there couldn't happen if it wasn't, but... Oh, it's definitely a Christmas film. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. There's even a uh, an advent calendar with um, with die, die Hard themes on it oh and actually speaking of which I, before I leave Clark, Clark Griswold you see that there's a whole bunch of National Lampoon's toys you can buy now oh no yeah know. so you can buy the wood lorry and <laughs> and the car and it fits underneath the wood lorry it's fantastic can you can you by the RV that kind of... <laughs> I don't know. That, that, that dumps be, its foul contents everywhere. That would be brilliant, wouldn't it? <laughs> and, of course, you should be able to buy some cr- Christmas lights that don't work, that are completely in a knot. That would be great. I always have that fear every Christmas, whenever I cook, it's going to end up like their Christmas meal, that, that turkey that comes out. <laughs> <Boom>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is one of the greatest scenes. Oh, I love that film. And funnily enough, this is not an awkward segue because we're talking about stories. Christmas is a time for stories. It isn't just the stories about Santa. Like I would say, like the Nutcracker is a traditional story. But there's also, um, there's obviously, like we we sort of have this tradition of um, Dickensian ghost stories as well. I think those sort of go around and people, you know, they play on the radio and things like that. But I thought I would look into some stories which you might be giving children for Christmas and see where they go. And we're going to start with the Pied Piper. I'm surprised that the Pied Piper is still told to children as a harmless tale, really. Right, right. Because it was, it's it sort of, it, we all know the tale, don't we? It's so the the rat catcher comes to town while well, he he's not a rat catcher he's the pied piper he gets rid of the rats um the people in hamlin don't pay him the agreed amount and so he comes back and takes 130 children and takes them into the side of a mountain and they're never seen again that's that's yeah. the story you recognize right bailiffs were tough in those days weren't they <laughs> yeah that's right yeah well when the brothers grim put that tale together they they cited the date june 26th 1284 that's when um he did he did the deed and you have your 130 children um disappearing but time it's so it's so much time has passed we don't know exactly what happened is it an allegory is it real certainly it appears to be real because 
And you again, really? well, you will. I guess people will know this. It's easy to find on Wikipedia. I found a, a much deeper account of it. But there was um, in the town's um, church, which was destroyed in 1660. Accounts say that there was a stained glass window which talks about a tragedy involving children and it says it's a hundred years since our children left oh, wow. and there's kind of like a lot of people scholarly people have written about that but other people over time have said well look maybe it's something to do with the children dying of natural causes and it was a way for people to sort of overcome their grief right it wasn't a literal taking um of of the children there's even a talk because the there is a mountain involved that they were killed in a landslide right that's a possibility and as we say on the podcast there was a lot of plaguing going on back then there was so much plaguing yeah and the the pied piper and this is kind of important because we're going to talk about the different figures in these well we're, we're going to move on from um a potential uh I guess, um, fictional stories onto some of the reality behind it. But um, the the Pied Piper could be considered a symbol of death. But it is true that the plague didn't hit Germany till the 1300s, but it, it doesn't rule out a pocket of, of disease, something like that. Yeah. There's also a really intriguing theory that... Um, People were migrating away. So the children just means the children of Hamlin. So that's, that's adults' families. And um, there's a, I, I was intrigued by this. There's a linguist called Jürgen Udolf, and he has suggested that some of the surnames from Hamlin have found their way into modern-day Polish phone books. Ah. So that sort of says, oh, perhaps there was... You know, it's like people moving away for either work or because they had a more attractive offer. They didn't want to stay. So social mobility. Social mobility, and children yeah. children just mean, you know, the youngsters. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, but if you go there today, you were... And, of course, they, they Hamlin make a big deal out of this. You can go and see the Ratcatcher's house and um, you can... Uh, you can it's a, it's a restaurant now. And you can go and eat there, and um, it's a it's got it's all Pied Piper themed right. inside. Do you do you think um, do you think that legend kind of influenced the the child catcher in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? I've always thought that. I think so, but it it's similar to other things. So this this idea of children being taken away, as you say, it's reflected in the child catcher, but it's reflected in lots and lots of different things and i find that really bizarre really sinister and is there something is there something of a where you were talking about mass hysteria is there a mass hysteria element to this or is there a more paranormal element and so when you think about the pied piper i think about sam the sandan clown for example right you know that idea of the painted yeah. thing and he's got a little house and he's talking to children and and then the other thing that it reminded me of is Peter Pan there's definitely that element around it this slightly supernatural figure to it and, and of course we also spoke about how fairies have been known to steal children right and which we, ties in with Peter Pan as well which ties in with Peter Pan and I didn't want to leave Peter Pan um, untouched because we've never really spoken about him, but we have spoken about the um, the fairies and Peter Pan. It turns out was kind of an inflection point where fairies. Um, well, I, f I found a book. Uh, it was literally called "How Fairies Lost Their Bite," and the the uh, tales of Peter Pan are inspired by something called Bluebell in Fairyland, which, tying into the season, is a Christmas season holidays entertainment that is described as a musical dream play. It has some elements almost of Midsummer uh, Night's Dream in it. Oh, right. Um, but that was um, a musical, and it was first performed uh, in London on December the 18th, 1901. And then after that, uh, Peter Pan was written by J.M. Barry in 1904. But it's quite far away from the innocent, sort of nice story we know, which was canonised by Disney in 1953. 
and they took all the the bad stuff out of it right. now you you might think oh well peter pan um the dog has literally just come to help me tell this story <laughs> uh listeners he's now went getting onto my knee he's that de- he's he wants to take a look at this yes oh you you like peter pan all right um there's a there's an extract from the original jm barry book which i i haven't read at all and this is this is really dark listen to this the boys on the island vary of course in numbers according as they get killed and so on and when they seem to be growing up which is against the rules peter thins them out but at this time there were six of them counting the twins as two so this is a fairy-like figure who is murdering children well and also the implication of that is if they vary it vary doesn't mean just going down so they must be replacing them as well yeah that well <laughs> so he's stealing them that's right, right that's yeah, right. right yes okay. and and that's where we sort of get this fa- uh, fairy glamorization remember if if you hadn't listened to that everybody that um the putting somebody under the glamour is convincing them for example that leaves are beautiful cakes it's um it's twisting reality that's what glamorization and I, is. and again i've not read the book Obviously, I've seen various film and play adaptations of Peter Pan. And I think in the Spielberg one, there's that scene where they've got empty plates and they haven't got food and then they have to imagine the food and it almost becomes yeah, real, doesn't it? That's, that's right. Ve- that's very much like that fairy thing you're talking about of leaves, you know, love delicious food turning into leaves and vice versa. Yes, yes. And and the the things that we have there that are similar, Peter Pan... He says, use your imagination. Use your imagination, doesn't he? He yeah, says yeah. that that's that's a common theme of the book. But there's also other themes which relate back to the Pied Piper. So if we take Peter as being... Um, oh. <laughs> we're just letting the dog out of the studio, listeners. Sorry about that. Dog's gone. <laughs> he's had enough. He's bored. He's bored with our podcasting. He, I don't think. I don't think he's down with fairies. I think they're scary. <laughs> yeah. But there's um, fairies themselves were were luring people in with either chants or songs, and that is how the Pied Piper does it. Yeah. What is peculiar though, and I didn't realise before the sort of Disney had taken on this world fairies had a hunger for human blood and it links uh, fairies to vengeful dead and vampires wow. there's yeah there's there's a, a folklorist called Catherine Briggs who points this out and th- there's an element of early fairies are described as um being animated so the bodies of the dead animated by evil spirits which come out of their graves in the night suck the blood of the living and thereby destroying them so and and she um sorry, can I just stop there? So, sorry, she's saying that fairies are somehow kind of living dead. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's how they described that before. No, no, nor have I. Um, there's that is exactly how it is described in the OED in 1734. Wow. So we have very quickly. I mean, that doesn't. So we're talking about a very specific sort of fairy. When we were talking about fairies before. We were talking about like more more little people legends that you find in Icelandic countries, yeah. uh, sorry, Scandinavian countries, and Iceland and Ireland, places like that. Your more traditional fairies, um, that isn't excluding them, but there's these dark fairies, and they're not here just to swap their children out. There is something about the uh, the fairy itself that requires human blood, and so that you start thinking, well. We've got Peter Pan there who's killing the Lost Boys. Yeah. We've got the Pied Piper who is taking the children. What is really the message here? Is it like, again, is it paranormal? Is it an allegory? There's another Christmas legend which takes children and is sort of from this fairy realm is the Krampus, of course. Yeah, yeah. And I, I guess everyone is by now familiar with the Krampus. I think it's become more prevalent in more in sort of as we've as we've had more television and film. The Krampus has come through. There's definitely horror movies and stuff. But he is like an assistant to Saint Nicholas, who sometimes is depicted as going around and birching 
uh, disobedient children, but sometimes he just puts them in his bag and makes off with them. <laughs> so again, we're we're seeing this um, stealing of children, and I think the interesting thing about the Krampus there is that it's almost a Bigfoot type of character, isn't it? It's a big hairy beast. It's humanoid. Mm certainly bipedal it's got a terrifying face yeah i I tell you what i was thinking about when you were talking about that is you know we've talked about those cautionary folklore tales like uh what's jenny green teeth and you know what i mean yeah which seem a logical metaphor for you know don't go playing in the water and don't go running off and all that kind of stuff i think what's interesting in these examples the kind of fairy folklore Krampus, Peter Pan, well, maybe not so much Krampus, but definitely Peter Pan uh, in the way that you're talking about it and the Pied Piper in a way, it's not so cut and dried, is it? It's not like they're pure evil figures to start off with. They're kind of more mixed. So it's interesting to see what that metaphor is. And I was thinking, I mean, the only way I could see it working is almost as some explanation for uh, the death of a child or somebody young that it you, you might not want to yeah. believe it's something pure evil so it's not a cautionary tale it's almost a bereavement tale maybe well i'm going to take you to a very curious place which you weren't expecting in a minute okay. but which were, which might explain another version of why those tales were either created or told okay but when i started thinking about like children disappearing one of the things that came to me was the missing 411, the work of David Pilides. Yeah. And there's a lot of children that are, are recorded in those cases. Now, it doesn't matter whether, you know, some people love David Pilides. I think he makes some great points. Um, so the, ju- so just, just to remind myself as much as anything, the missing 411, that was the one where it was that kids would go missing in... In the, it, it wasn't like the woods; it was in the mountains, wasn't it? it it's and it's kids and adults, and it's in it's in national parks. That's right, in America. Yeah. And there's all kind of theories that it might be some kind of big cat that's taken them or whatever. But there are there's UFO conspiracies around it. Well, there's all sorts of stuff. There's right? there's very strange things like um, the sounds that are heard around an abduction and the curious nature of where the the remains are found, often in places yeah. where people have looked and looked and. And I guess the most famous missing child case, and I've checked, and the parents were under suspicion, but nobody has been prosecuted. It is still an outstanding mystery, is um, that of the disappearance of Dior Kuntz in uh, Timber Park in Idaho. Do you, have you come across this no, one? No, I haven't come across that. So very, very briefly, and this is kind of this... I think this is similar to a mysterious disappearance that you might try and explain away. That isn't where I'm going with it, but I think this case is interesting. So um, this happened, uh, Idaho Falls, July 10, 2015, and they're on the Timber Creek campground, which is about 10 miles away from pretty much the biggest next conurbation, a place called Lidor. And so you have to have a four by four out there and it's quite far away from from anywhere and they he's there with his parents jessica mitchell and vernal vernal court yeah vernal cunt senior there's other people there there's the grandfather of the mother so that's dior's great grandfather he's robert walton and then there's a gentleman called isaac reinwand which is a friend of walton's and there's they're on the camping trip so there's five people in total and this small child dior and they go on a fishing trip because the camping ground is right next to a small stream and a reservoir. And about half past two, 2.40 that day, Mitchell and Vernal take the decision to take the camping and fishing trip and um, bring along some other family members. Now, this is where there's a mix-up. Jessica and Vernal believe that their son's great-grandfather, Robert, is looking after Dior mm. at the Timber Creek camp- campground. He follows... So so the child has followed his parents down to the river. He's decided he doesn't want to go. And they watch him go up, back to his grandfather, and they carry on going with their fishing. 
the grandfather says Dior never turned up. And it's much later in that day that, in fact, you can hear the 911 calls um, if you if you so wish to look them up on uh, online. They he's he's gone completely missing, and uh, so the grandfather says never saw him. They say the parents say, well, we saw him toddle back up there. Complete mystery has just vanished into nothing. Now. That I will say for anybody who is screaming at me going, yes, but, yes, but, yes, but, I know the police have spoken at length to the parents who were named suspects in 2016. But as I say, never arrested or charged. The only little bit of weird sort of conspiracy that something untoward might have happened is that the police later found the jacket that the boy was wearing or was claimed to be wearing back at the parents' house. But that is... A lot of people just consider that as, well, he had two similar coats and that is how it is explained by the parents. It doesn't really prove anything. But this is not an isolated case. Dior still remains a mystery. There is nobody, nobody has been arrested. Um, It's similar to all of those uh, 411 cases. The child has completely disappeared into the ether. And that, to me, is sort of like a modern-day... Um, a version of your Krampus, of your Peter Pan, of your Pied Piper. Yeah. Just a complete and and perhaps in the past we might have said, oh, it's you know he's been taken by the Krampus, he's been taken by the Piper. Today we say, you know, I guess a lot of people who read those four on one books say, oh, is there a Bigfoot yeah. element? Is there a an alien element? to this and and aliens actually when you start thinking about it there is a big amount of um like culture in alien law of them taking children remember that scene in close encounters of the third kind yeah yeah. the ship opens it's full of children yeah then we have all of this hybrid children stuff we've heard this before we've covered it people being taken and they see their own child on board the spacecraft or the child they this child comes to visit them in their bedroom and they get told that's half their child and then it disappears again you know so there's there's a whole load of stuff that's that's going on here but is it is it real or is it paranoia and this is where it starts to get interesting i think so the first thing I want to bring up is, have you heard of the legend of Cropsey? No. So there's actually a brilliant documentary about this. Um, it's just called Cropsey. And it's about um, an American... Well, before we know who it's about, it is considered a legend in New York. And the people that make the documentary were warned about going out after dark because crops you'll get you and it went around their high school you know 10 year olds would say you don't go out after dark crops you'll get you don't go down to the lake crops will get you so they set out to discover whether this was true and it turns out there is such a person and This was a man who was working in the 1960s as a custodian at Willowbrook State School. And I'll spare you the full story because you can find it in millions of different places online. But his name was Andre Rand. And he is a suspected serial killer, but he's definitely a convicted killer of two children and a kidnapper. And this is where the Cropsey legend comes from and that that's all very well and good you go great well okay so there's so we all know that people abduct children we know that happens but it is suspected that he was doing it to feed satanic worship right is this uh, maybe maybe i'm maybe it was something else i may have heard of it is this connected and somehow influenced nightmare on elm street well kruger it sounds very similar. I can't find a reference to that exact Directly. thing. Yeah. No, but it is very similar, isn't it? The caretaker. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like Rand was doing stuff in in the 70s and the 80s, and it was the typical um, child goes out. So the, the first one 
is a, a five-year-old called Alice in 1972. She uh, she vanishes after her brother had left her alone for a moment. They're playing at, um, uh, in, in the lobby of an abandoned building and um, Rand was prime suspect. Alice was never seen again. They still think he did it, but they can't prove it. Right. But again, very, very similar. But this notion of um, being... Uh, of taking people away... I'll read you. Um, so when you when you watch the documentary Cropsy, I can summarise the end. Someone else has done this for me, but it says um, some people, along with detectives, speculated that Rand may have been involved with Satanism and provided the children to be sacrificed. There were people also who thought that Rand was not alone in the commission of his crimes, and many believed he was passing the children around to his friends in the underworld network of homeless and mentally disabled people living in the tunnel systems of the former Willowbrook State School. Wow. Which is chilling in itself. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. But this um, satanic panic thing, I found really, really extraordinary because I wasn't expecting that to yeah. come up i thought that was a glitch in the 80s in yeah. our thinking and, and and if you don't know what the satanic panic thing is it's a conspiracy theory or is it a conspiracy theory that's conv- uh, convinced millions of well-meaning rational people that there is a secret cabal of satanists who have infiltrated the highest echelons of society in order to molest children. The Satanists are also accused of sacrificing animals and using women as breeders to supply an endless supply of dead babies for use in their gory, blood-filled rituals. Now, what does that sound like? That's the Q conspiracy, right? That's Q and not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of Pizzagate. I'm thinking of, you know... You know, Hillary Clinton, Democratic Party. It kind of does those themes, right? They are. And so I'm speculating here that this idea of people being satanic child abusers, you can almost trace it. It sounds like Krampus. It sounds like Peter Pan. It sounds like this. But when we look at how it really started, it's just a story. So I'm going to take you to this amazing that, thing. That's a really interesting point because if you go with that, that that it comes back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier. It 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 is fulfilling some kind of need, cultural need that we have to have this narrative, right? Yeah, and also I think it's really believable. So those reports of ritualistic child abuse. They were, I mean, we grew up with this. I remember it being on the six o'clock yeah, news. Yeah, yeah. It was all of them um, were, were never proved. And dozens and dozens of people were falsely accused. Some even got sent to prison. Yeah. Their, their convictions are quashed. But I think the fascinating thing There's about... something witch trialy about it as well, isn't there? If you think of it that way. There is. Yeah. But I didn't know this until I started investigating. And it all starts with a book. Have you heard of Michelle Remembers? Nope. It's published in 1980. And it details the claims of somebody called Michelle Proby, who recounted several months of gory and sadistic ritual abuse at the hands of a cabal of Satanists when she was a child in 1950s Victoria. I downloaded the book because it's very expensive to buy it on Amazon. Right. It was nearly 100 quid. I downloaded it... Um, well, I won't tell you what I think of it yet, but this is an accurate description of what is in it, and it's quite hard to read at times. The memories, she alleges, were repressed for decades until she sought help from a psychiatrist, Lawrence Pazda. Under a state of hypnosis, Proby began to uncover a horrifying tale of murder, torture, abduction and molestation. She claims to have been taken from her willing family and groomed to take part in a ritual to call the devil one in which she witnessed the murder of children and she was forced to eat human remains or she was covered in dead baby parts and locked in a cage with snakes. This is a best-selling book. This makes an absolute fortune. And it became like the template for other people coming forward and saying, yeah, that happened to me as well. And it was... This book is the first 
time that the words satanic ritual abuse are used. That is where the phrase comes from. Right. This right. this this very book. Um, on its face, and as I say, I've I've read most of it. It's quite poorly written, but I've read most of it, and it seems almost implausible to take too seriously. But neither Michelle or Lawrence were historic historical they are historical they were not hysterical they didn't appear to be liars and they certainly weren't loonies proby is a married woman living an ordinary life in victoria she's measured even tempered and not that it matters close cropped curly hair soft-spoken feminine woman is how she is described and don't forget she goes to see a psychiatrist because she's feeling depressed she, lots of people do and pasta her psychiatrist is a brilliant family man a respected professional and most importantly a devout catholic and <laughs> this is this is where some of the bits start coming together so it's in 1973 that she goes to pasta to seek treatment for depression and uh it's four years of regular therapy sessions and they're working through her childhood issues and um you know she's all the normal stuff is coming out right in 1976, Proby suffers a miscarriage and she starts having horrible nightmares. And so she goes, she continues her, her sessions with Pazda because, I mean, that's a that's a horrible thing. You can imagine, yeah, I'll just carry on with the um, yeah, big treatment. Trauma, yeah. um, and the sessions start delving into increasingly bizarre territory. Proby would slip into a kind of hypnotic trance in which she began to recount long-forgotten events in a childlike voice of her five-year-old self. The book itself... That sounds a bit a dissociated state as well. We were talking about the last couple of episodes, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it does. It yeah. does. Um, and I have to remind you as I'm telling you this, the book itself made more than a million dollars in its first year of publication. I want you to bear that in mind because that is important. So she begins to remember like this orgiastic party at a home in this Victoria neighborhood. And one of the key moments in there is the guests, the guests come together to club a woman to death. Um, she also describes this evil man called Malachi. And in one incident, she describes that he packed a car with this dead woman's body and then faked an accident on the highway to cover up the murder. And she then says she was forced to eat the dead victim's ashes. Now, <laughs> there's quite a lot wrong with that story, which we'll come back to. As the sessions wear on, she becomes more dramatic. The storytelling gets more and more bizarre and almost overtly paranormal. While she was at first sort of just saying that she was an unwilling participant in satanic rituals, she then goes on to claim that she was kidnapped by a group um, that the pair would come to identify as a Victoria-based satanic cult. So she's moving away from just doing this with her parents, yeah. and she's given away to this this cult. And she then, and this is where it gets completely shark jumpy, she describes how she was saved. Jesus and the Virgin Mary appear to her in the midst of a satanic ritual. Wow. Yeah. So... The book's claims are so extraordinary and the evidence was so thin, it was almost difficult to believe that anyone would believe these stories. Um, but that's the cra crazy, weird thing they yeah. did. Yeah. So when the book came out, it even got tacit endorsement from the Catholic Church. One of the religious authorities brought in to investigate Proby's claims was Bishop of the Roman Catholic Diocese of, Vic of Victoria. <laughs> he has a brilliant name. Yeah. If, you're, if you're in the Diocese of Victoria, what are you called? Remy Deroux. <laughs> oh, That's what you call Remy Deroux. That is brilliant. Um, he also accompanied the pair to the Vatican, wow. where Proby's story was recounted to higher church authorities. Well, I guess that... That bit of, you know, the appearance of Jesus and the Virgin Mary, that, that's kind of falling into kind of miracle territory, isn't it? So you can see why there was an interest. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And so that this, um, I guess, these endorsements are, yeah. they, they help increase the sales of the book. They turn them into media celebrities. They're interviewed everywhere. And 
Proby's claims are not really interrogated. They're yeah. just sort of... She's looked upon, as you would expect, as a victim. But uh, the well, trouble is... I, I guess she's probably a victim of something, but maybe not exactly what she's talking about. I, I'm curious as well. I mean, I guess we'll never know, but I'm curious how much the psychiatrist had kind of led her down that path or not, you know what I mean? Or Well... Because this can happen a lot, can't it? I know she wasn't... He was not hip... hip no, it wasn't me. I assume he wasn't using hypnotherapy, but it, there are examples of that, you know, false memories being planted in that environment, right? There's a wonderful denouement to this story, which will make possibly that become clearer. But, okay. But just when people started taking notice, they realised that, well, when she describes the car accident where the body was disposed of, didn't happen. Right. When she describes um, a cemetery and a particular part of that cemetery where there's an orgiastic party... You can't fit four people right. in. Right. There's all of these elements and people start thinking, you know, in the public eye, they start saying, maybe, maybe she's not, maybe she's embellishing or yeah. at worst, completely lying. Other people start using this idea of false memory syndrome. So she believes it. Yeah. Um, there's, there's Since this book and since um, the sat- satanic child abuse cases, there's been a lot of studies on false memory. I think we spoke about that one where um, in 2001 they managed to convince a whole bunch of school children that they'd met Bugs Bunny in Disneyland, which yeah. is, of course, impossible, yeah. the false, false memory syndrome. Um, we also did one. There was one, I think a psychologist did it with his children who said, uh, oh, do you remember when you were younger and um, you got lost in the shopping mall? Yes. And... Uh, and it never happened. But, you know, as they kept talking, that story, the kids like started adding all this incredible detail about how they'd walked into this shop or gone here or done that. And, oh, yeah, it was said over the tannoy and none of it was true, yeah. So what nobody knew but became clear later, Proby left her husband and Pazda left his wife oh. and they got married. Oh, Oh, that's oh, that's terrible. Well, and oh, they, that, yeah, in terms they, of a psycho psychologist no, client relationship, that's no, terrible. no. But the implication is that they were all of these marathon psychology sessions were oh, they were to spend time away. They they were well away from their spouses. Oh, right. So it's almost like that yeah. from the start. Yeah. It's, it was a cover. The whole thing was the a cover. The whole thing is a cover. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And a money making cover at that. Right. Okay. Wow. And they convince the Catholic Church. They convince the media. Wow. But this thing accelerates and accelerates, and people take it as truth. Even today, you'll find that people say that, you know, oh, it's a cover up that this book was debunked. Right. But it's it's not. But it's telling the exact same story of child abduction yeah. and abuse with powerful people. There are lots of people yeah. cited in there, though she doesn't give names. She sort of talks about school teachers and stuff. It's the QAnon conspiracy, but is it not also all of those other tales yeah. just done differently? It's a classic narrative, is what you're saying. It's a story, you know, storytelling nar- narrative. Uh, did they ever? Did either of them ever kind of fess up in any shape or form? No, no. They they died. Um, Michelle in the in Pazda's obituary was described as his wife and soulmate. Right. They. They they did remain together until um, they the you know they passed away. One of them passed away. Yeah, as you can't be together if one of you passed away. Uh, in well, two thousand four, she, she did see uh, Jesus and the Virgin Mary. Don't rule it out. Um, she did, but people's so not. before before they even they I mean they never confessed. Right, but it just became clear, and people started right. ignoring. The, the signs story. were too much to kind of go hold but, with us. But the key thing was developing that notion of satanic ritual yeah, abuse. Yeah. That very term then comes into everything. And so you can see that reflected in the Cropsey yeah. story. Chances are he really wasn't doing any satanistic yeah, things. He, he was, was just, just a, a sicko. Yeah, a serial killer. Or he a, was just a serial killer. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But you get these things so it is completely possible 
that the Pied Piper of Hamelin is an allegory for a horrible sex crime killer who murdered 130 children and it was a way for the village to cope. Or it was a mudslide that mm. killed lots of children. Or it was an emigration event mm. that um, just described the loss of key people in the town. If you if you if your butcher, your farmer, and your locksmith all leave town, that's going to be painful because you've suddenly lost those services. So yeah. it's it's likely that it would be remembered. Yes. So again, it's this it's this notion of being very very careful of taking things. Yeah. at face value and understanding where they come from I, i'm interested of its purpose though that that fascinates me because you know if you take your um the the caretaker serial killer i wonder if there's something around individual evil that is a lot harder to understand than some kind of almost either paranormal or institutional evil. You know what I mean? So you're, mm-hmm. is it easier to, and I'm not saying I believe it is, I'm just curious of, is it easier to go, uh, it was all influenced by a satanic cult, that in some weird way that makes it easier to process than one evil individual? Yeah, I think it I'm is. I'm not saying it is, but I don't know. No. It's an intro- I'm, I'm trying to see why... As you as you've rightly identified, these legends take hold, and you kind of think it's like we were saying about Jenny Greenteeth of cautionary tale. There's got to be something in that storyline mechanism that makes us accept it more than the reality of the situation itself. Yeah, I mean, at its basis, it, they they were all just telling stories. Really, yeah. they're all just telling stories. And if if the fairy stories about, uh, you know, the original ones there about them being vampiric and reanimating yeah. dead bodies, um, that could be a cautionary tale about not extracting dead bodies out of the ground that have been killed, for example, with plague, because right, you'll get right, it. a practical thing, yeah, yeah. A practical thing. But it could be that you, you sort of say to a child, or oh, don't, don't go up. Don't dig up that body, you scamp, because um, you might. You'll help the fairies reanimate it, and you just chuckle to yourself. And then the kid goes, "What do you mean?" And you make up a story, and you go, "That's actually quite a good story." Mm. So you tell it to your mates down the pub, yeah. and they turn it into a story. And so, the what starts off as just being like a cautionary, <laughs> "Don't do that," turns into, "Oh, that's actually fun." And yeah. in the days before the television, maybe. And people weren't literary. Uh, uh, then maybe these stories—they're just fun. Yeah, they're just yeah. fun. I mean, they're not nice fun, but they're yeah, fun. Yeah, dark fun. Dark fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're ghost stories. Yeah, Cropsy is a ghost story, really. Yeah, it's Although like, it's like Slender Man. It's like Slender Man. Yeah. yeah, and the 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 warnings from the parents turned out to be true. That the the there really was a serial killer operating, yeah. but nobody. Nobody knew that. They was just kind of like, you know, almost something that was zeitgeist. Well, that's interesting itself, isn't it? That, that there, there was, you know, and we almost, I think we see it with a lot of kind of true crime stuff and serial killers. You know, I don't know if anyone's seen the Dharma thing on Netflix. I think what's quite interesting about that is, and people have found it controversial, that, you know, in many ways he was a pathetic character, but we we almost need to or have put serial killers as uh, you know like Hannibal Lecter, you know what I mean, mm. rather than a pathetic character. You know that's always fascinated me. How you know if you think of the Hannibal Lecter tale, you know I'm not I'm not sure which one it is. And spoiler alerts if you've not seen him, but he kind of ends up with Jodie Foster. You know what I mean in a romantic yeah. relationship and. You know, he's this kind of clever genius, whereas the, I, I think the Dharma thing, you just go, wow, you know, you've you've had this life and there is something pathetic and normal about you and actually your actions are trying to make you seem powerful. I think it was Dharma who was obsessed with 
the Emperor, I think, in um, Star Wars, you know, because he, he oh, was, was attra- yeah, he was attracted to that power, and the, I think he he wanted to build a throne like the Emperor's throne um, because he saw that as this all powerful character. So there was this need for that, but in a way, as a culture, we fall into that as well. We kind of we almost play a part in that, and I think Hannibal Lecter is yeah. a really good example of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. I suppose the anomaly. In everything that I've spoken about is missing Dior and those other children. Yeah. And that obviously has another explanation. But as I was saying, I was thinking, would would we have described his disappearance? Would we have uh, uh, described it and ascribed it as a paranormal mm. event with a perpetrator in the past? Would we have said... Oh, that's like a um, a Krampus or something. Yeah. Is the Krampus actually um, something to do with the high rate of child mortality? Yeah. And so rather than having to say, my baby died, you can say the Krampus took it. I don't know how that eases the pain or burden at all, mm. but, you know, is it is it almost like a, um, a euphemism yes. that... Oh, you don't have a child to give a Christmas present to yeah. this year. Oh, the Krampus took it. Well, also that kind of feeling of maybe parental guilt as well. You know, even if even if oh, they're yes. even if they're departing yes, is nothing right. to do with what you've done, or you couldn't have done anything different. You know, there 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 will be those feelings of guilt. You know, and having someone that you can project that guilt onto, or, or maybe healthy in some ways. Yeah, that's interesting. That is interesting. But out of all of those things, I do think that those missing 411 stories are fascinating. And, like, again, I guess half of you listening will have heard David Politis and other shows, and you'll think and you'll have seen his uh, documentary. I think 411 The Hunted, for me, is the most fascinating. Yeah. Other people will say, oh, he's a proven fraud. I mean, I don't think he is. I think there's a middle ground to be taken. Does everything that he say completely stack up? I don't know, because I haven't done the research. You'll have yeah, to read other but there, sources. There are, there are pretty good witness testimonies in the documentary. There are, so. there are, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I tell you what it makes me wonder. It's making me think about, actually, what we've done over the last few weeks. And it ties into something I remember we discussed way back. Bear with me on this with Ruth Roper Wild about um, going on kind of ghost hunts and saying that you you just don't see stuff. You know, one in a hundred, yes. you might see something weird. Yeah, I think we were talking yeah. about it in the context of TV shows about um, paranormal and the go- and ghosts. And I think this is interesting, this this, and what we've talked about over the last couple of weeks with mass hysteria and disassociation. I think we've made the point that I think it's important because you can then narrow in on things that are weird and strange and don't fall into these kind of categories or could fall into these kind of categories. And the analogy is... You know, if you go to a place and you see something weird one in a hundred times, by by that kind of logic, paranormal events, if they're true, happen very, very rarely. So seeing and exploring what could be paranormal and what is something else, I think is really important. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. And I guess the other... Things is fine line between what is paranormal and what is normal. I guess yep. it's just a uh, a categorization um, from people that perhaps don't understand. You know, like 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 us. You know, th- yeah. there's a natural. There's a, there is obviously a natural explanation to why something happens. It's just we call it paranormal because we don't understand what it is. Well, and in a way, if you think about it, it's easier to pull at these threads which could be the logical explanations than the illogical one because the illogical one and the paranormal one is never going to be provable, right? Or or, or at least, I don't know, I haven't found a way of finding it provable unless you kind of see it with your own eyes, but then can you trust your own eyes? So 
Fascinating, though. Fascinating. And I, I, I think that connection with Peter Pan, I mean, I, I think that's a great thing because, I mean, there's a the lot of those kind of grim uh, fairy tales and old classic fairy tales, you know, I'm thinking of Shockhead Peter and stuff like that, where they mm. are they are these they're quite dark, vicious, sometimes cautionary, sometimes just macabre fairy tales and children's tales. Um but I'd never really I hadn't heard and I hadn't made that association with Peter Pan. I think that's fascinating. I didn't know he killed people. No. And Wait recruited others. Yeah, recruited others. Got it, because yeah. he's got to replace the lost boy population. I right? mean, it's a death cult, really. Wow. Well, but, I'm sure that won't turn up in the new Disney rendition. <laughs> just just to leave you on a light note, you might want to know some of the characters. You remember I was describing Bluebell? Yes. Um, so the, there's, um, it does feature... A dr- it, it's, it goes in between reality and a dream, much like Midsummer Night's Dream. And the characters in the dream are the thrush, the kite, the fish, the dove, two Dutch shabbat girls, uh, Tommy, who's a Highlander, a doll, a black rabbit, a frog, the sparrow, the water lily, the spirit of the cup, the yellow dwarf, the reigning king, the reigning queen, the willow, the wisp, the owl, the sleepy king, and Blib and Blob, who are two schoolboys. Don't. And a partridge <laughs> in a pear tree. If I had a dream like that, I would definitely be giving up the Stilton before bed. Yeah, Man alive. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. Well, that was all in one night. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's all one dream. <laughs> I, I particularly like the author. There's not enough in here. Let's put two Dutch Shabbat girls and a dove in it. Nailed it. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Right. Wow. Well, it's time for me to... Um, Perhaps go and is it too early to start on eggnog? I I I think um, I think it's never too early to start on eggnog. Um, although I don't think I've ever had eggnog actually. Is eggnog, I remember when warnings we snowballs. Do you remember yeah, those? Yeah. Oh yeah. Is that is that a similar thing? Warnings is eggnog. Right. Okay. So a snowball is that and lemonade? I think. Isn't right. It? Yeah. 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 Well. I tell you what, why don't we see if it's too early or not? Best served or some, in... What they call it, the Glutenwein or whatever it's called. We could have some of that. Oh, Glühwein. Glühwein, that's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I want the eggnog just so that I can use my moose cups. <laughs> that sounds quite random. Well, like Clark. Oh, of course. Yes, right. Oh, yes, I see what you did. You, yes. bring it, you brought it back. I brought it, brought it back. Right, excellent. <laughs> well, look, we're getting closer and closer to Christmas. We'll be, uh, we'll be back next week with... More weirdness on the Quantum Mechanics uh, review. Like, subscribe. Thank you for listening. Thanks for all the support you're giving us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, we certainly do. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Quantum mechanics.